Sturm Graz are back for another bite at the Europa League after going out in agonising fashion last year. This time they're up against Sporting, Atalanta and Rakoff. Welcome to the other Bundesliga podcast. Welcome to this UEFA Europa League Group D preview podcast. It's one of our special series looking at the group stages for the Austrian teams who are in European competition this campaign. Sturm Graz, they finished fourth in an incredible group last year. They had the same amount of points as everybody else, but they went out nonetheless. Their home form was very strong last season in the Europa League. This time, though, they've got two relative heavyweights in the group in terms of Serie A side Atalanta, Portuguese team Sporting, and the newcomer to Europe in the form of Rakov Shestakhova. My name's Tom Midler. I'm joined by Lee Wingate and Simon Clark. And I'll start with you, Simon. What are your thoughts on that draw for Sturm Graz? Very tough, Tom. <laughs> very tough. Um, I think... The drawing Atalanta is an extraordinarily tough match, and Sporting Lisbon as well have been a team on the rise over over the last few years. And then you have an unknown quantity in a team that have really really come out of nowhere over the last couple of years, and uh, are now enjoying, I believe, their first group stage. So you really, it's a really tough group. Uh, Lee, what are your thoughts on Sturm's chances? Can they go better than the, uh, the the agony of last year? And we'll look at some of their key players in a bit as well. But if there's anybody who stands out, feel free to chuck them in this early. Well, I will chuck in straight away Alexander Pras, who they managed to keep hold of in the summer. I think he is likely to be instrumental in any European success they have this season. Looking at that group, it really is, as Sai says, a very tough draw. Sporting are not perhaps quite the force they were a couple of seasons ago under Ruben Amorim. Um, Atalanta, they have lost Rasmus Hoyland, the former Sturm Graz striker to Manchester United, but nonetheless, they're very strong. Looking at Rakov, they are an interesting proposition because they were down in the Polish third tier a few years ago, and they have just been run incredibly well by the the man that owns, a, I think, Poland's biggest computer retailer. Um, and they have had a long-term coach in Marek Papson, who has been with the club all the way from the third division to the um, top flight and only left this summer. And they've had some remarkable success with two cup wins and their first extra class of title this season or, or this summer rather. So I don't think there'll be a rollover either. It's quite hard to see where this group, group goes or how it pans out. But I think Sturmgratz are going to have a tough time of it. Yeah, I think... Uh, Kiel Scherper, their new goalkeeper, might be one of the keys for Sturm this season. Their defence has obviously been solid for many years. They've always had a good goalkeeper as well, a very solid goalkeeper. Uh, last year, they brought in Okonkwo. He's gone, of course. He's back in the UK. Um, but Scherper, like broke records at the start of the Bundesliga season, didn't he? Um, longest time, I think, for a new signing in the Austrian Bundesliga, the longest time before he conceded a goal, which was about four, four and a bit games in. Um, so he could be really crucial for them. Um, I mentioned before when the draw was made, you know, or, or before when the qualifiers were still being played, I was a bit worried about Sturm, but then seeing how good PSV were in in their other games, that made me think, actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe Sturm weren't as bad as they were made to look 
in the uh, Champions League qualifiers. So I do hold out some hope for them in uh, in this group stage, but I think they're really going to have to yeah, hold on to their, their excellent Austrian Bundesliga defensive record. And I don't know how easy it's going to be to do that against Sporting, against Atalanta, against Rakov. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see. Yeah, and of course, another thing that's important, Tom, is the fact that the, the, the Stonegrats are going to need to be, to be scoring goals in this group. And by far, their standout is a Polish striker, of course, Simon Vladarczyk. Uh, who scored seven goals already this season, and um, yeah, playing against the Polish champions. So we'll see how he, how he does against uh, his fellow Poles. Yeah, true. So it's uh, not just Shepa in goal, but Vladarczyk up top, who might be relied upon. Could be a big European group stage for Vladarczyk. If he bangs in a few goals or shows anything like the promise that he's shown in the Bundesliga in this Europa League group stage, he certainly will be uh, very much the next in line to get the kind of Sturmgratz Rasmus Hoyland treatment and make a big move. Potentially, we'll see Atalanta continuing this sort of food chain and uh, Atalanta signing Simon Vladarczyk after a good group stage and, and maybe a goal in Italy or something. <laughs> I mean, potentially. I mean, you know, it's uh, it would be quite interesting. I mean, the, these two clubs are like, uh, because of the Hoyland link, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing him play each other. It's actually the first time they're playing each other as well. I mean, not really surprised because Atlanta haven't really been too much in Europe. It's actually their first time playing all three of these teams. So uh, that's interesting for, for the uh, Stonegrats fans out there. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, we'll take a little break now and we'll get lots more interesting things to hear from people who are experts on each of the teams in Stonegrats' group. Welcome back to part two of this special European podcast looking at Sturm Graz's Europa League group. We got a few interviews with experts on the teams, Sporting, Rakov and Atalanta. Let's start with Aaron or Proxima Jornada and his thoughts on Sporting against Sturm. Aaron, fantastic to have you on the podcast again. Uh, you can hear Aaron giving his insight into Benfica in the Salzburg European preview podcast that we've put together. But today we're talking about the Europa League and this time it is sporting because uh, sporting are up against Sturm Graz in the Europa League group stages. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when Lask played against sporting in the uh, in the playoffs and they came and shocked them with a with a big win. That was a great moment. But I'm assuming Sporting are a little bit stronger than that uh, these days. Although they did go on to have a very good season that year. Um, I'm assuming anyway, uh, Sporting are are in better shape than they were then. How was their season last season? Yeah, I mean it was it was it was a, a mixed bag. It was a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, I think they have um, they've they've gone straight into the Europa League. Uh, this season as they finished fourth behind Braga in the Premier League and obviously Sporting are known as being one of Austria's grands, one of the big three in Portugal so to to finish to finish outside that yeah it guarantees them a Europa League group stage spot if they finished third they would have had to play the third round quality uh, knockouts and then the playoff round to get into the Champions League so different caliber but also your season starts a little bit earlier Braga have I've done that and have achieved that because they're in the in the Champions League um this season so yeah for, for sporting i think the the got to the round of 16 in the 21 22 season in the champions league then last season in the champions league they ended up going out in the group stage after they basically fumbled what was a, a dream start in europe because they kicked off the campaign with 
3-0 win away at uh, Frankfurt. Then huge test up against Spurs and they beat Spurs 2-0. So after two games, they had six points and you're almost, you're looking at that and thinking it'd be hard to really throw it away even after two games because of going away to, to Frankfurt, which is one of the more difficult games and then beating Spurs who were, you know, tipped to be favourites. And then they, they, they drawn in, in, in London as well. They took four points from six against Spurs and still managed to go out. It was two games against Marseille right in the middle of the group. It was the third game and the fourth game, back-to-back. And, um, yeah, some goalkeeper mistakes, some defensive calamities. And and they, uh, yeah, ultimately you win two two games in the group. It's not enough to go through. So I think this season they'll be looking to come out come at it with a, a more fresh approach. Um, they've changed the squad. They've lost some players. They've brought in some good players as well, which I'm sure we'll get to. And, yeah, I think... The reality is, yeah, they're in the, the Europa League group stage and they've got to just try and go as far as they can. You know, they've been to the, the quarterfinal a couple of times in the last maybe sort of 10 years. They haven't went further than that since 2011, I think the semi-final. So in the Europa League, that is. So, um, yeah, I think they'll be they'll be looking to put their best foot forward this season. Yeah, sounds like a bit of a bitter pill to swallow in Europe from last season. And I mean, when you're one of the big three, finishing fourth in the league is certainly a little bit less than ideal. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that they've made some signings. Uh, what what are their reinforcements looking like for this new campaign? Yeah, so especially in the forward areas, they've brought in Victor Jocheres, the striker who was at Coventry last season. That's my and, club. I know that all too well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is this this is the type of signing that it, you know he was he was wanted by several Premier League clubs, and he was wanted uh, ones that were sort of mid table to to bottom half, and then a couple of clubs sort of around Europe as well. But the decision to come to Portugal is an interesting one. But I suppose you know this is why is is to play in European competitions and to you know maybe use the club as as a little bit of a springboard that next step in his in his career. Hopefully, you know, as you'll know, being a Coventry fan, he sort of each challenge he's had, he's just seems to take it on uh, and get better and better and score more and more goals each season. So he's a yeah a, a good signer, and he's you know he started the the season well. Paulinho, the other striker who who's been there for a couple of years now, is looks to have improved as well simply just by having Jokeres on the pitch with him. He looks like he's unlocking. Certain certain things out of Paulinho's game that have been a little bit lacking over the last couple of years. They've lost Manuel Ugarte to Paris Saint Germain, which is a huge blow. Um, you know, Sporting have lost feels like midfielder after midfielder in the last couple of years, whether it be Mateus Nunez, Joao Bellini, these are all now Ugarte, all big players that have departed. But they, again, that sort of conveyor belt of, of, of bringing in players from. From around Europe, they've brought in Martin Hulman from Lecce. Is the the Lecce captain um, at, at the uh, at his at his former club in Italy, and again he just looks to be a nice fit. I haven't seen too much of him, obviously because the season's still early. Be interesting to see him play in Europe. He's one that we remember yeah. actually. He used to play for Admira in uh, in the Austrian Bundesliga when they were still ah. a Bundesliga team. And it's quite funny. He was a bit of a standout player, still very young at Admira in those days. But you'd be watching Admira games, and you could see his family were there. His family were always there cheering him on. And yeah, uh, yeah they stood out a little bit because you know that you can you can tell when somebody's supporting one player rather than the team. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I didn't actually know that. I knew he'd gone to Italy, but I didn't know yeah. he'd. Uh, Come back and then gone to gone to Portugal, so he'll be up against an opponent that that he knows fairly well, I suppose. 
Yeah, familiar, familiar foe, yeah. He's, um, yeah, I mean, his numbers, I hadn't sort of watched them too much. Last year in, in, in Serie A, but I had a little look over them. And yeah, he, he ranks quite highly in most of the sort of defensive numbers and um, those midfield numbers. So he looks to be another one that's been well scouted and, and, and uh, you know, handpicked to come in and, and try and improve the squad. They brought in uh, Ivan Fresneda, the, the fullback, the right back from uh, Valladolid in Spain. Really highly rated, was wanted by literally, I think, every top European club seems to have been linked with him over the last. 18 months so it's a real coup for, for sporting to get him i think and he's yeah as i say he's still only 18 so need to obviously temper the expectations a little bit with him but a good you know a good sign and could could prove to be another big windfall if if he has a season or two and really kicks on and then and then leaves for big money and then yeah other than that in terms of departures they they lost yusuf shimiti to everton but that's it's no great loss to, to sporting really they went out and bought Victor Jocheres, because they knew that they couldn't really rely on anyone other than Paulinho last season. Uh, yeah, so other than that, they they look in good shape. They've started the season well. They've um, they've won three of the four games and, and drawn the other. So still unbeaten. Still got a few kinks in the side. I think all three of the wins have came by one goal margin. One of them was a 99th minute goal against Dizella, I think it was. So they're still, you know, the the winning games sort of. Um, not as comfortably as they'd probably like. They're all going down to, you know, with the one-goal margin right down to the final whistle. So, you know, early days, they'll they'll soon kick into gear, I think, because they've got a good squad there, definitely. Yeah, it's still quite a high-caliber team for the Europa League. I mean, the Europa League is full of big names, to be fair. But um, I would imagine their ambitions are definitely topping the group, certainly going through from the group. Uh, do you think they've got a realistic shot at maybe going deep in the Europa League this season and, and even perhaps being one of the favourites for the trophy? Yeah, I, I do. And to be honest, I think, yeah, well, I hope so. And I hope that they take this, the competition as as seriously as they should. Uh, and what I mean by that is it, it's something that and maybe starting out in the Europa League is it will be the best thing because it's there's that sort of acceptance that we're here. There's lots of good teams. We can go as far and as deep as we want to on our day. We know that we're a we're a match for anyone. I think maybe when you drop out of the Champions League and then into the Europa League, it's it's sort of like you're not going in it with your you know full hundred percent sort of optimism, and you're already midway through the season. The European games are, are adding up, and now you're in the Europa League and traveling you know further distances and stuff like that. And it felt, yeah, it's just felt like they haven't really been able to give it as much of a crack. Other than, funnily enough, last season, because last season they 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 dropped into the the Europa League, and I had that same thing of like, I hope they really go for it. I hope they take it seriously, and and they they did well. They ended up knocking out Arsenal after after dropping out of the Champions League, and they um, they eventually got knocked out by Juventus in what was you know quite a narrow a narrow tie. So if they can go in with that same sort of attitude and not sort of like being in the last couple of years, because that's not level just a sport thing. It's just something I've I've noticed with you know Portuguese clubs in in general. Um, they should be going further, I think. I think, and even in times when the likes of Porto have dropped into the the Europa League, it's almost this sort of thing of like not playing the full strength squad and and th- that type of thing. I think Sporting they've got a, a real chance to try and 
do something. You know, they've never won this competition. The only European trophy they've ever won is the Cup Winners' Cup. You know, they were runners up in the UEFA in the in the UEFA Cup. But yeah, definitely, I think they'll be hoping get it, get out of the group, top the group. Um, you know, get a good tie against the against a group runner up against you know maybe hopefully one of the one of the weaker teams in the draw. Um, but as you say, the Europa League is. Stacked with quality now, to be honest, and then to to get out of the group as well is usually once you get to the knockout stages, you've got you know quality all over the uh, all over the competition. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, last but not least, uh, I've been a little bit critical of the of the stadium atmosphere. I've been to uh, Sporting, um, and I thought maybe in comparison to some of the other big Portuguese clubs, it was a little bit flatter. It's like a weird stadium, sort of on top of a big like cinema and shopping complex and things. <laughs> Uh, can you put me right here or do you have a, a, a different opinion of it perhaps or, or maybe you share my view that it's you know perhaps I'm wrong or just just came there on a bad day I don't know but I, I wasn't blown away put it that way no I mean it's it it can get quite uh can get quite political to be honest when when we come to speaking about their stadium and the reason why their fan the atmosphere not the fan base the fan base is there and always will be but yeah presidential Changes, changes in rules and regulations about who can come into the stadium, who can't come into the stadium. Um, yeah, I feel like a section of sporting supporters feel that maybe over the last couple of years, that sort of um, it's become a little bit more regimented and stuff's been sort of almost you know battered out of them in terms of. Well, yeah, they they their thing is that the it's the club themselves who are killing the atmosphere, and you know the fans have tried to sort of go back against that. But as I say. It, it gets very political. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I'm not a sporting supporter. I'm not there every week. Um, but yeah, you, you're right in terms of, especially the you know the attendance numbers. They pick up if they you know they go deep in the competition. Last season they they were in the game against Juventus. It was around forty five, forty six thousand, I think. But you know, even the home game against Arsenal, I think there was only thirty four, thirty five thousand there or something, which is. You know, you you be you will be expecting a better turnout than that when you think you know thirty four, thirty five thousand. That's that's you know there's there's smaller teams in the Premier League. Uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's unfair to compare them to to the Premier League, but when you just think of the scale and the size of a club that Sporting is and the stadium, you know, I really like the stadium to be honest. I think they've um, it is it is unique in terms of sort of where it is and the layout. But I've I've been there a couple of times and yeah, I I I know what you mean. I was there for the Ajax game. Few years back, uh, and they they lost five one. It was the opening game of the of the group stage, so the atmosphere was yeah. But then I think we can blame that on the uh, on the results more than anything. So yeah, yeah. If uh, Sturm Graz can can go and get a similar result, then you know hopefully keep it <laughs> keep the home fans quiet when they're in Lisbon. Um, but yeah, another really great chance for Austrian football fans to get out to Lisbon, a brilliant city to go to, uh, more exciting ties to look forward to. Aaron, thank you very much for your insight into sporting. It's been really nice to have you on. Cheers. No problem at all. Thank you. Christopher Lash previewed Rakov against Sturm for us. So Rakov might be one of the teams that people don't know quite so much about in this Europa League group. So can you tell us a little bit about them? Um, potentially, you know, a, a relatively new name in European football, I suppose. They seem to be quite a well-run club, though. 
they really don't have that much of a pedigree and a history. They've been mostly in Polish lower league football. Um, I think they spent some time in the, the second tier for a while. And I think they spent a couple of seasons in the top tier in the 90s. But it's really just a you know, pretty small club, which is run by a, a guy who uh, sort of works within the computer field, um, who's relatively young, I think. I mean, relatively young in terms of people who've got a lot of money, let's say. Uh, and so it's a sort of self-made millionaire. Uh, but they are not really a club who are, you know, shelling out lots of cash. It's been um, quite a um, pragmatic uh, project. Um, they have been built. They build it. It's, it's being built. It's not like, you know, let's throw loads of money, hope it sticks, and then um, if it doesn't, everything crashes. So it's, it's, it's a project that's been built very cleverly um, over the years. Um, and um, they have, uh, yeah, just last three or four years, everything has exploded. You know, they've... They won the Polish Cup in 2021 and 22. Uh, they've caught, they came runners up in 2021 and 22 in the Polish League, and they won the league uh, last season. Um, so they've uh, just, uh, if you could say in some respects they've come out of nowhere, but uh, that would be actually, um, in some respects, a little bit on a bit harsh on the project, which has been a quite clever multi-year. Uh, project and you know getting progressively better um making their way through the uh the uh you know the lower leagues from the third tier to the second and now you know doing you know stabilizing in the top league and then you know starting to win things yeah it seems like they've really improved then in the last few years and it's been a, a steady improvement as you said so maybe european group stage football is a, a logical consequence of that but if they won the polish top flight last year that's some going um, who were their major stars last year? What was the kind of crux of, of the winning season for Rakov? Well, the, the, the way that the team set up um, is that they have quite a lot of players who are quite flexible, um, who can play in a lot of different positions. Uh, they're really not a team built on stars. It's more a collective effort, a hard-working team, very good in defence, um, relatively direct build-up play. I mean, their weakness is really the, the, the strikers, um, mainly because the, the real star player who, again, is not someone who well, people will know, is a guy called Ivy Lopez, who unfortunately tore his ACL in preseason, um, which means that he, uh, you know, he's out until I don't know when exactly, probably till some, sometime next year. And he, you know, he did okay. He played a couple of times in like the, the Spanish top league, La Liga, uh, I think for Levant. I'm not exactly sure. You'd have to check that out. But the point is he he's not a star. You know, these are not these are not star players. I mean, they've got um, I'm not sure how old you are, but uh, he's got they've got um Igor Tudor's, I think, cousin or nephew, Fran Tudor, who's um Croatian, who's played a couple of times for the Croatian national team, a right back, and he's just a really, really, really clever signing. A lot of really clever signings, quite a lot of foreign players, and again, built on the collective. So it, it's really not like you're gonna be like, wow. You know these players stand out apart from someone like you know Fran Tudor again, who's a right back, but he plays. He really gets up and down the line. He's got great touch. He's creative player. And in the 
in the qualifiers to make this the group stage, he scored a couple of times, assisted a couple of times, and he's just a you know I think he's the captain now. So he's a kind of player that really um, he's a, he's a very very competent, skillful player. But you know these are not players any of them really who are like there's not they don't really have the wow factor. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean they're not talented. They're talented. They just don't have the wow factor. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, there's obviously a lot of links with that in, in Austrian football too. You know, it tends not to be a particularly star-heavy league. But it's funny you mentioned Igor Tudor because uh, actually I was on a road trip with Lee um, for a Bundesliga game just this weekend and he nicknamed my car uh, Igor Tudor because it only has two doors. So that's the, the <laughs> level of, of puns that, that Lee's working on. But funny to hear his name come back up again. And Fran Tudor, yeah, one to watch. Um, I, think, did... I think he's, he's a distant cousin, sorry. So he's, he's, there's some <laughs> kind of family connection, yeah. 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 Um, did did the club lose any any key players after winning the title? Were any of their best players poached away by other clubs? Some players left, but I don't think any really super key players left. You know, Ivi Lopez, you know, they, they, they managed to tie them onto longer term contracts. There was a striker, Latvian striker, who scored a number of goals for them last year who left. But, you know, this is this this is not um um, a, a real star player, and the thing is, is that that's the thing is that because a lot of the players are, have done a decent job, but none of them are really hugely stand out. It's not like when you lose one of them, you you really um, lose that much. Apart from Ivi Lopez and maybe Fran Tudor, you know, the goalkeeper uh, Kovacevic as well is is very good. Um, because um, because you know you, you just buy a clever player to fit in, right? So it's it's. It's not like, you know, when you do have these clubs which have two or three star players and then, you know, it really is difficult to replace them. You know, I don't know, people are always talk, you know, talking about, you know, Liverpool now and the rebuilding job that they're having to do and, you know, maybe, Sa- you know, Salah going, right? Now, someone like Salah going, even if, I don't know if he will go now, is, that's a massive job to replace someone like Salah. But, you know, with Rakov, it's not like that because the players are, you know, they're, they're not hugely standout, right? Yeah, the, the strength is in the collective, I suppose, which can bode well sometimes. As you say, it makes it easier to to cope with with losses in the summer. And, you know, it can bode well for a, for a European campaign as well when you need that squad depth and you need to be able to replace players. But in terms of uh, things a bit more geographical, uh, where are they based? You know, what's the town actually like? And what kind of away trip experience might Austrian fans be be in for when when the Sturm fans head over there? The town, I mean, all these Polish difficult to pronounce Polish name. I mean, I'm live here for a long time, so for me it's not difficult. But uh, the town is, is Częstochowa, that's what it's called, and uh, it's famous historically because um, it's a very um, it's a sort of religious uh, pilgrimage site. Uh, it's famous kind of. Uh, Bastion that held out, um, I think it was the Swedes, sieged it in the 17th century and they managed to um, hold out. So it's kind of got a very, kind of like an important kind of symbolic sort of, um, symbolic part of Polish historical memory. Uh, but a town's not that big, it's, it's de- decent size. I think it's about 150,000, 200,000 people, but the stadium was, was a complete mess when they got promoted. So they were, were playing their home games away from their stadium. In a town called Belhatov, where there's a coal mine. Anyway, it's not a very great stadium. The other one as well. Uh, then they finally uh, got the stadium sorted to play extra class level, but it's 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 terrible. It's like five thousand seater, and it's just put together like an a, not identical, but just just really 
poorly put together and there's been lots of um, critical comments about the specifically i think the the, the um mayor of the town who has not really um supported them in terms of financing a new stadium and lots of kind of issues like that but they're not they're, they won't be playing in in Chenstarva. they'll be playing in the city of uh, sosnovets which is um <laughs> it's difficult to describe but it's, it's not that far from where they are but it's um they they, they just upgraded so Gwambia Sosnovets to a relatively new stadium, I think, last year. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm sure the Racco fans will be there in force, but um, you're not going to get the Chenstarhava experience because you're not going to be in Chenstarhava. <laughs> You'll be in Sosnovets, uh, yeah, which, which is a kind of mine, a, a former mining town, Sosnovets, a uh, relatively rough place. It's never quite um, the same, is it, when you have to play outside of your, your actual home stadium? I know Sturm had to battle with that as well in, in the brief hope that they would qualify for the Champions League. Just as they started thinking of that, UEFA reminded them that their stadium is not uh, fit to play Champions League, but Europa League is still acceptable. So they can actually play in, in Graz this season. But um, in terms of the away support from Rakov as well, do they tend to travel in, in good numbers? Can we expect a full away contingent perhaps for the game in Graz? I mean, I don't want to be like unfair to them, but they're not really a very well-supported club. Um, they don't have much of a history as a set. I mean, they've got a history, but they don't have like a history of, you know, that many fans, right? So, I mean, I'd imagine they will probably travel relatively well. I mean, you know, Polish clubs often, uh, when they travel for Europe, they're not like traveling to just watch the side. They also often get involved in various other often nefarious off the pitch stuff that's going on. So so I'm not exactly sure uh, what they will, how in, in how much numbers they will travel. Um, and I don't know the ultra situation at Graz, whether Graz is like a, a club which has its kind of fair share of that element or not. So I think it all depends on the, 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 uh, the fan culture in, in, in Graz and whether there is some kind of, um, let's say, clash potentially between uh, between the, between the two sets of fans. Um, yeah, I, I really I really couldn't predict that. Yeah. No, there is a fairly big ultra scene in Graz. It's a it's a very well supported club. Um, I would imagine, you know, with clubs where they don't have a sort of specific rivalry or anything like that, until there's sort of some heat in the in the tie, uh, you wouldn't really expect there to be any problems. But um, yeah, it's interesting to know, though, because uh, we have the same here in Austria. You know, it's not always the most uh, well-performing clubs, which are the best supported clubs. So, yes, it's, you know, it's no disgrace for Rakov to, to necessarily be performing well, having not yet built a huge fan base. Sometimes that's just football. It's, it's quite interesting the way these things work, but they obviously don't sound like one of the biggest supported uh, clubs in the extra class and, and you know like bringing in the biggest average attendances but still it's just another interesting factor uh, for this tie um do you think they'll have ambitions uh, realistic ambitions maybe of going beyond the group in in this competition or is it just going to be you know enjoy the enjoy the european group stages and sort of see what happens what do you think well i think that the way that it's organized right is that you get a chance to to go through, obviously, if you come to, I can't remember the exact way of doing it, right? It's the third team from the Champions League plays the second team in the Europa League group, or is it two? two I, it's, it, it, I know that it's all a bit confusing. I think it is that way, right? There's a playoff round between the, the dropout from the 
Champions League with a second team in the Europa League. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, so if I remember rightly, to win the group, if you win the group, you then skip the, the sort of the You're next through, yeah. mini knockout round. Yeah, but if you come yeah, second, yeah, yeah, yeah. you go to that one. And third, presumably, you go to the Euro- the Conference League. Precisely. As well. Precisely. So, so as it was, I mean, that's what I think that that's where people are thinking about because um, that um, you know, even though I think Atlanta are a little bit weaker than they were Atlanta, sorry. Uh, and I don't know that much about sporting, but it's a club with incredible pedigree, right? So um, I think going into it without knowing too much about the ins and outs in those two clubs, um, people are probably thinking that, you know, the Sturm Graz, even though I know, you know, I'm sure better resources than Rakov as well. They're thinking that, you know, Sturm Graz, is, that's the chance to play, as everyone says in Poland, you know, go into the spring, right? And still be in Europe, right? That's the big thing here because it doesn't happen that often. Um, obviously, he did last year with Lech, right? Lech made it to the quarters of the Conference League. And, you know, the Conference League is, is I think, a fantastic addition to uh, the whole European, you know, system, actually, because it gives smaller leagues the chance to play at a decent level, right? Yeah, great and, for clubs in Poland and Austria, for sure. I, I think that compared to the Nations League, the International Nations League, which I thought was a good idea at first and then got really bored of it, um, I, I'm not liking it. I think the Europa League is really a, a clever idea. Uh, sorry, the Czech Conference League. So, so I think that really what Poland, what Rakov will be aiming for is to to try to make third place. Well, obviously they'll go for as best they can, right? Um, depending, I suppose, if Atlanta, Atlanta are doing well in the league, maybe they'll rest some place. I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but I think that you know those games between Rakov and Sturm are probably, and I'd imagine it's probably the same for the for, for, for Sturm as well, right? That, that you know, probably thinking third, maybe second, potentially, right? But I'm sure Sturm Rats are not aiming, well, I'm sure they're aiming to top the group, but probably thinking that's not going to happen, right? So so that, I think that that's, that's where the opportunity uh, comes. So obviously, I think it's, is it the second group stage? Is the uh, g- uh, game, sorry, is that Rakov uh, against Sturm um, in Poland, so that's going to be a huge, a huge game. Um, and if Rakov can, you know, beat Sturm, then I think that, uh, well, they've got a really good chance of making the Conference League. And if not, then, well, probably not going to make it. That's why. Yeah. Saying. I mean, Sturm finished bottom last year in their Europa League group, having accumulated the exact same number of points as everybody else in the group. So it was really, really uh, uh, oh, a, crushing, a crushing fourth place for Sturm last year. So I'm sure they'll want to go better than that. You know, they actually acquitted themselves very well against Lazio and, you know, some good teams. So I don't know how it's going to pan out. Of course, none of us do at this stage. But yeah, as you say, looking at that group, Atalanta, Sporting, Sturm and Rakov, you think these games between Sturm and Rakov are going to be very much crucial in the uh, in the way the qualifying positions will work out. So that's just another reason to to really look forward to them. Thanks very much for telling us a bit about things from the Rakov perspective. And uh, yeah, we can just enjoy the two games. Yeah, I hope, I hope they're fun. And, and, I, and I do think that Rakov will be a good addition because they will play consistently. Uh, they might not always have the talent, but I think it's going to be um, interesting to watch the games. Nima Tavalli-Ruzzari of the Italian football podcast had a look at Atalanta against Sturm to help us with this podcast. 
Nima, really nice to have you on the podcast again. It's so good to get your insight into the Serie A teams in European competition this season. More specifically, those who are up against Austrian teams. And in the Europa League, we have Atalanta drawn in the same group as Sturm Graz. Um, how did Atalanta do? How did they fare domestically last season? And how did they end up getting into Europa League Group D? Atalanta's season last season was a little bit of a transition uh, year, I, I would describe it as, because um, they were they were they were searching for their identity, um, I would say. And and let's remember, if it hadn't been for the points deduction that Juve had, um, Juventus would have you know they would have finished sixth, uh, but they finished fifth instead. Atalanta on on sixty four points, obviously Juventus for you know for their for, for whatever the hell that was. Uh, that happened there during the Prisma investigation. That's still the criminal proceedings are still ongoing. Um, they were given a, a ten-point ban and, and finished on sixty-two and seven spot, and obviously subsequently also banned from Europe. But for for a season. But Atalanta, I mean, they lost twelve games just like Inter. They were they changed identity a lot in the middle of the season. They went from being the usual Gasperini attacking, free-flowing side to there were times where they were really, really defensively, you know, rigid and, and they they didn't want to concede anything. And then they went back to being Atalanta that we know. And so they were kind of searching for their identity last season. Um, this summer, uh, you know, of course, this summer they they sold Rasmus Hoylund to Manchester United for an insane amount of money. Um, I would say Manchester United overpaid without taking anything away from Hoylund, who I think is a fantastic talent. But at the end of the day, we are talking about someone who had what, six, seven, eight good months, really. I, I mean, re, you know, for, for not he didn't really have that much more than that. I mean, the talent is unbelievable, don't get me wrong. But the amount of money that Atalanta always seem to be able to squeeze out of clubs for their players is, is, is truly a skill they have. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, my colleague on the Italian football podcast, Carlo Garganese, always says that, you know, pound for pound, they're probably the best run club in the world because they always find talent to develop and sell on. Um, uh, and, and and they always seem to be able to stock up with new. Now, the situation this summer um, is, is that they've actually managed to outspend, uh, you know, signing high-profile players. Uh, Gianluca Scamacca, of course, joined them in a very publicized report, you know, um, signing for, for 25 million euros from West Ham because I mean he was obviously close to um, he was close to Inter but Inter decided not to you know they outbid Inter in that Inter decided obviously not to get into a bidding war but um, that's a that's a very high profile signing uh, El Bilal Torre obviously very unlucky got injured he was the most expensive signing 28 million euros Michel Bakker from Leverkusen, Leverkusen Charles de Kettler on the loan Colasinac on a free transfer, uh, you know, they 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 really made some interesting signings, um, and I think we're so so. I actually think you know, if, for the first time in their history, um, you know, we, we are talking about a small provincial side in the Serie A. Um, the fact that they're able to to do this and still kind of turn a profit and improve themselves so much, I mean, watch out Europe. Um, because I have them as a dark horse to win the whole damn thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I have to say, I don't know quite so much about Atalanta. Of course, 
uh, I remember and perhaps a lot of our listeners remember their good European run in the Champions League from a few seasons ago and and I've always known them as a, a kind of Serie A regular but um, of course since uh, Rasmus Hoyland went from Sturm to Atalanta I, I took a bit of notice as well but it sounds like they've really strengthened for this new campaign and it could make them you know the the favourites in that group as as they would would like to be anyway but you mentioned it's sort of a provincial side in Bergamo What's it actually like there? Is it is it a kind of classic Serie A stadium? Is it somewhere that the Sturm fans would be urged to visit? What's the atmosphere like at Atalanta? It's an incredible atmosphere and they've refurbished it quite a bit. I mean, this is why, again, um, you know, the, to, to call them pound for pound the best run club in the world um, is, is, uh, is, is not, is, is, is spot on because they... That I mean, even before the refurbishment, that place was a fortress. I mean, there were. I, I, I was jokingly say that if you know at the at that stadium, at the Givis Stadium, as it's called now, Atalanta are probably one of the best teams in the world because they they really rise to the occasion, and it's a it's a very intimate ground. Um, the fans are right on the pitch side. They are loud, and they 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 create a crazy atmosphere. Um, which is why Atalanta has always been this difficult ground for big clubs to go to. Um, they they can be anyone at home if they on their night, and they probably they probably have as well. In the last few years, they played in the Champions League in the latter stages as well. I mean, in, at least in the knockout stages. Um, so no, it's 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 uh, they can expect a very passionate, loud uh, fan base. Who although it's a provincial side in northern Italy. It is a it is a fan base that is incredibly passionate about their club, um, and about their football. And the fact that they even, you know, they refer to the, you know, colloquially they refer to the club as La Dea, the goddess, um, when every baby that's born in Bergamo is given a kit by the club. Um, you know, so this they are very rooted to their community. And the community is very rooted to them. Um, so no, they they are a very good. Um, they're a very they it will be a fantastic experience and it's a lovely little place to visit as well yeah that sounds great that's that's moved it right up my list of places that i want to go this season in the group stages the yeah, away it's right game... next to milan as well so it's not exactly a difficult trek i mean i'm pretty sure you can take the airport directly to bergamo yeah, it might be an, an easy yeah. enough trek, but it sounds like it's a, a very difficult challenge ahead of Sturm Graz for that away yeah. game against Atalanta now. Um, you mentioned a couple of the new signings. You know, they've actually gone in uh, for a few big bids in this summer and they've they've brought in some reinforcements. Um, who would you pick out as perhaps their players to watch in this group stage? Would it be one of the new players or, or perhaps somebody who's been with them a little longer? No, it has to be Gianluca Scamacca. Um, he is, for me... He is uh, the future number nine for the Italian national team. Um, he is who they need to build around. He, he really has everything. He's a big, strong guy, but he's also ridiculously technical as well. I mean, if he can unlock that, there were lots of comparisons to Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was younger um, and, and in, Italian, in the Italian press. And, and I do understand them, although I think they're completely different you know, characters and, and, and types of players as well. I mean, there's no way Skamak is as technical as Ibrahimovic, but I do see the similarities. Uh, there are some slight, you know, there, there are similarities between them, but but he's, he can score in the, he, you know, he's a threat in the air. He can score with both feet. He, he can, he can link up. He can play with his back against the goal. And he's also, you know, quote unquote, got a bit of a chip on his shoulder in the sense that he wants to show himself, you know, the West Ham move turned out to be a disaster. 
predictably so, as all of us who were you know covered it at the time said it's a very weird decision and also of course michael antonio in in a now famous clip with a podcast west ham podcast says you know when he was asked about skamake so he said something along the lines of i'm paraphrasing here but he said something along the lines of he's a fantastic player but when you play as a striker for 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 david moyes you're feeding off of scraps and David Moyes isn't was was just not the right coach for him. So I'm really happy he's back in Italy. I'm really happy that he's in Atalanta and in Bergamo, an environment where he will feel safe, protected. He will feel comfortable. You know, he he you know he comes from you know comes from a working class area in Rome. But this is a very family oriented club. He'll be you know he's got his family there and he's enjoying life and he wants to prove himself. He wants to establish himself. He want he knows that he can actually cement his position as a starter for the Italian national team. And the road to do that goes through Atalanta, not just in the Serie A but also in Europe. And you've already told us that you think Atalanta could beat dark horses to go all the way. Um, mm. I take from that then that you think the group will not present any obstacles to stand in Atalanta's way this season. I don't know if they're going to win the group, but I ex- definitely expect them to go through. Uh, I'd be very disappointed if they didn't. I think the quality they have, even with Elbilo Torres' injury, which was completely unlucky, even with that, I think they are, they have everything to go through. They have to go through. I think the quality they've got in the squad is is not up for debate. And so, yes, I think they sh- they have to go through. And then, of course, it's a bit of the luck of the draw, isn't it, as well? Um, you know, can you avoid the, the Premier League clubs as far as you can? I'm not, not that Atalanta should be scared of anyone, but, I mean, the, the you need to be lucky in the draw as well. Thank you so much, Nima, for your insight into Atalanta. It's really nice to hear about them. And uh, now I'm going to go away and perhaps Google some transport options to <laughs> Bergamo. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. It's always a pleasure. There we go then. A massive thank you to all our contributors for this European podcast and our other ones as well. It has been a real pleasure interviewing people from around Europe and getting their take on the opponents of the Austrian teams. Before we sign off for this Sturm Graz episode of the pod, Lee, what would be your crunch game of this group if there were to be one for Sturm Graz? What's the game that's going to define uh, define whether they can meet their ambitions or not? I would have to look at the rack of games. I think you look at the the pedigree and the quality of players that, that Atalanta and Sporting have in their squads. And I think it would be quite a big ask. Although I would have to say that I would not like to underestimate Storm either. They might be able to cause one or two surprises there. They have a talented group of players and also a coach that seems to be able to get the best out of them. And they've been very consistent in the Bundesliga. So I'd love to think that they could pull off one or two surprises. Uh, But those Rakov games, I think, uh, will be really important because if Storm are going to continue in continental competition next year, I think that they will need to get at least four points out of those two Rakov games. Yeah, for me, it's a little bit of an unknown quantity in terms of, yes, Sporting and, and Atalanta are sort of big teams, but I'm not sure exactly what to expect from them and, and how strong I'm expecting them to actually be. Um, so I think there's a chance. Sturm Graz won't go into any of these games thinking, wow, we're, we're massive outsiders. They're not going to be big favourites either, but they're not going to be massive outsiders. And I'm wondering if Sporting at home on match day one, I'm wondering if that's a good time to start off at home and maybe 
get a bit of confidence in the bank on match day one. And then this Rakov away game on the uh, 5th of October on match day two, I think getting something out of those two first uh, initial Europa League games is going to be massive with then that Atalanta doubleheader coming up after that um, in October and November. Uh, Sai, would would you uh, have a different crunch game or would you agree with with what Lee said? Um, so I would, I would have a different crunch game. I would say the, the two games against Sporting uh, are the two crunch ones because I would say Atalanta will probably top the group and Rakov will be probably fourth. So it really is between Sporting and Sturmgratz for second or third. Um, so if, if Sturmgratz wants to progress in the Europa League, getting up, getting points in, in that opening match is is vital. And uh, you know if they can get anything away in Lisbon, that would be incredible as well. Yeah, so that's uh, match day one and match day six for Sturm, their games against Sporting. So you're siding more with me there then that this match day one clash at home against Sporting could be quite. Uh, quite a big game in terms of defining how they do in this group stage um lee what's the game that you're most looking forward to out of the uh, the six group games for sturm uh, i'm going to try and get along to the um the one against atalanta at home i think that that will be a a really really interesting contest size right i think they probably will win the group but i'd be really interested to see with the crowd behind them at the Mercur Arena, how they could get on in that game. So I would say that's the one that I'm eyeing up the most to get to. Sai, have you got a different one? So obviously a trip to Atalanta would, would be quite fun. It's not too far away from Austria, really. I mean, because you can fly with, with Reiner to, to, to the airport in, in Bergamo. Actually, it's quite an easy tie to attend. So maybe the, maybe I'm thinking about, about attending that one. That'd be quite fun. A trip to Italy, Tom? All right, Atalanta away, November the 9th. Sounds interesting. Yeah, Sounds interesting. well, why not? <laughs> I would say, like, I definitely agree with you on that. Going to Bergamo would be cool. I would say sporting away in December would be nice. But yeah. actually, I've been to to sporting before when I was in Lisbon. And I, I, was, I was slightly underwhelmed, I have to say. It, it was cool. It was a cool experience. But from having not been there, I imagine now that, that Benfica is kind of the the bigger atmosphere, maybe, in terms of Lisbon football. Um, nothing against Sporting. It just, it didn't like, I'm not desperate to go back. I mean, that I mean way. Tom, I'm sure Sporting fans are listening to this podcast now, shouting <laughs> at their radios, at their phones. Yeah, it was just my, just my honest opinion. You know, it's just what I saw. I, I was not, I saw the first league game of a new campaign at home for Sporting. So it was a big occasion. And it's like, I couldn't really tell which end the, the kind of hardcore supporters were at. It, it was strange. It was kind of, it was a good it was a good atmosphere but it wasn't it wasn't like a great atmosphere i'm sure it's a bit different on on big big nights maybe but i'm not desperate to go back so that's why i would maybe pick um well i wanted to pick the away game against rakov because uh, i think that's really important for sturm in terms of getting points but rakov are uh, another one of those teams who are not playing at home in their in their european games they've got to play somewhere else so that makes that a bit less fun so yeah, I'll go with you, Sai. Uh, Bergamo, Bergamo away uh, against Atalanta. That's that's the tie. That's the tie to go to. <laughs> All right, then. On that note, we will wrap it up for this special Sturm Graz pod. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Lee. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listened. We do have other pods available previewing Salzburg and previewing Lask in their European group stage endeavours as well. And that is all on top of our regular Bundesliga content. So thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll see you again very soon.